Well, hello everyone. Good to see everyone. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Access, and it's my privilege to welcome you here this morning. Um, Let's begin in a word of prayer as we continue our series and listen to God's word today. God, thanks a lot for this time. Just uh, it's it's been it's really exciting to hear just some of the new things that you are giving life to um, our Vox partnership. Um, the retreat that's coming up, this kind of refined and clarified vision of being a church that unites diverse people. Um, we're encouraged by all the leaders that we see uh, saying yes to, to serving others um, and using their gifts to bless others. So thank you, God, for all that's happening. And now as we come to hear uh, from your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit might speak through me and give all of us here just um, an openness and humility to hear what you might say to us today. Thanks so much, God, for your church, and thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who makes the church possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so imagine for a moment uh, that you were on your way, as you were on your way to access this morning, as you turned maybe right or left or whatever onto Shadowwood, uh, you notice a car pulled off to the side of the road. Uh, with its blinkers on. And as you kind of slow down a little bit, you notice an elderly gentleman kind of standing next to the side of the car, crouched down, just struggling, struggling in vain to get the lugs off an obviously flat tire. So imagine this is happening this morning. What do you think you would have done? What do you think you would have done? So that's the question a couple of psychologists at Princeton, um, Princeton University decided to study, and they published the results of that study uh, in a 1973 article. And they were interested in figuring out what are some of the causes that influence whether someone decides to stop and give aid or to keep going. And so uh, they conducted a really interesting experiment. And so their test subjects, because they were at Princeton, their test subjects were a group of seminarians at Princeton Theological Seminary. And these uh, test subjects, these seminarians, were given the task of preparing and then giving a short talk, okay? Uh, But in the middle of their preparation, an assistant would interrupt them in the room that they were in, and and they gave some bogus excuse, like, oh, we're out of space, we need to move, Uh, we need to move right now. And then so, as the seminarian students would have to get up and move to a different room, uh, as they would walk from room A to room B, there was, uh, they would come across a person who was hunched over in dilapidated clothing, uh, coughing uh, in pain, in obvious need of assistance. And of course, this person was an associate of the researchers. And what the researchers wanted to examine and see is what would these seminarians do as they walked past this person in need? Would they stop to help or just keep on going to finish their assignment? Now, to add to some of the intrigue, uh, some of the seminarians were instructed to incorporate the parable of the Good Samaritan into their talk. So uh, the Good Samaritan is one of the most famous parables that Jesus taught, and it regards a man that's beat up, mugged, and left for dead on the side of the road. And it's about how a bunch of people, uh, religious people, actually just step over this man, ignoring him, but how one person comes to the aid and rescue of uh, the person, the victim. So, uh, what did they find? 
Well, fortunately, many students helped. But just as many also did not help. And in fact, the researchers noted on several occasions, a seminary student going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim as he hurried on his way. Wow, when I read that, I kind of cringe inside. Because I see that could be me, too. And before you and I jump to quick conclusions about these evil, hypocritical seminarians, I'd like you to pause and consider that there might be reasons that we don't expect that explains the behavior that they saw. And so we'll talk about what they found at the end of this message. So you'll kind of just have to, that's my way of (laughs) dangling the carrot stick, right? So you listen for the rest of this message. So we recently began a new series called A Church That Unites Diverse People. And in this series, we're going through the book of Acts, which is one of the most fascinating and exciting New Testament books of the Bible. And Acts chronicles the formation um, by the Holy Spirit of the people of God. This global, multi-ethnic, multicultural group of people we call the church. And last week, we saw how the Spirit of God enabled the early church to speak languages they did not know to people in their native tongue so that, so that as the message went out, people would hear the message of God's love and God's work in their native tongue. And we were challenged with the idea that to become, for us, to become a church that unites diverse people, we will be stretched outside of our comfort zones as we learn to speak the language of people who are different from us. So today, we're going to continue the story and look at Acts chapter 3. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So in some ways, this is Peter and John's, like, you're on the way to church and someone's pulled on the side of the road moment. This is their uh, Good Samaritan situation. Peter and John were recognized as leaders of the church, and they were on their way to pray. Because even though they had now been filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, they still knew that the way to tap into that power is through prayer. And so diligently, this is part of the routine. They go at three in the afternoon to pray. But as they are on their way, their task gets interrupted. A man asks them for money. Now, I'd like to pause for a second and invite us to think about this story a little more deeply from the perspective of the beggar, to put ourselves into his figurative shoes. The text says that this man is lame from birth. He spent his whole life unable to walk, and he is destitute. And so every day, this man, this beggar, must rely on the good graces of people to literally carry him to the temple courts so that there he can ask for money 
as religious people go in and out of the temple. And I would imagine that some days are better for this beggar than others. On the good days, people stop and give him money. On the really good days, maybe they stop and actually engage in a conversation with him. And it's a brief respite from what is otherwise a very solitary and lonely existence. But on the bad days, people ignore him or they stare at him. Kids make fun of him and jeer at him. And he doesn't get enough money for food. And on this day, he does what he has done every day before it. And he is expecting this day to be like every day before it. But what he doesn't know is that everything is about to change for him. So Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. How cool is it that the temple is called Beautiful? That's a great name for a place of worship. Because something truly uh, beautiful and miraculous unfolds in this briefest of interactions. Peter and John are on their way to do something, but they decide to stop. And they make eye contact. And they engage. And what was supposed to be like any other day becomes the best day of this man's life. Do you see that? What was supposed to be just a normal, regular day, maybe kind of good or kind of bad, becomes the best day of this man's life. And it happens because Peter and John let an unexpected person into their lives. They could have been like, you know, sorry, we're on our way to pray. Or sorry, we don't have any change with us. Or they could have just done what most of us would do. Just ignore them and kept on walking. But Peter and John show us something that I think is so key and so fundamental to becoming a church that unites diverse people. They responded to rather than rejected the interruption. When Peter and John woke up that day, I don't think they set out thinking, oh yeah, you know that beggar that's always at the the temple courts? Let's heal him. And as a result of that, we'll be able to proclaim the gospel and all this awesome stuff will happen. I don't think that was on their mind at all. They were just going about their regular routine, but they didn't allow that routine, okay, so catch this, they didn't allow that routine to blind them to the needs of the moment that presented, it to them, presented themselves to, to them. And so when the beggar asked them for something, 
they were able to respond. They were in a, a space and a, a, a posture that they were able to respond with compassion and with grace. And by doing so, they forged a meaningful connection with a stranger, someone who was very different from them, right? Very different from them in both class, economics, and physicality. And the result is that people are just stunned and amazed as they see the power of God in this relationship. And so if there's one thing you'll take away from today's message, maybe if, there's, if you hear nothing else, I'd like you to hear this. That a church that unites diverse people is made up of people who regularly let unexpected people into their regular lives. A church that unites diverse people is made up of people, of you and me, people who regularly let unexpected people into our regular lives. So several years ago, uh, when I was on staff with InterVarsity, um, we, our primary work was at UT Austin, but uh, a number of us started to feel an increasing burden for the community colleges around UT Austin that were often ignored and often didn't have any Bible studies or campus ministries. And so part of my role, um, probably, probably the thing I, I liked the most was that once a week I would go to ACC and I would just spend some time there trying to talk to students uh, uh, trying to find out about their lives, uh, inviting them into Bible studies, into prayer, and stuff like that. But it got to a point where it was unsustainable for me, given some of my other responsibilities. And it, it came to a place where I realized that for this to be viable, I need to find someone on campus who is willing to lead it. I can't be the point person leading it. I could support, I could coach, all that, but I need to find someone to lead it. And so uh, over the time, I had built some connections with the administration, and I was given the opportunity to be a part of their organizational fair at the beginning of the semester. And so I decided to show up there. I was late. Uh, I had this terrible poster. And, but, but the one thing I did do in the car as I was driving was I prayed, God, God, if you want this to happen, you're gonna, could you help me meet the right person? Because I, I can't do this by myself anymore. Uh, I, just, I just asked God for that. So I'm sitting there uh, at the tabling fair and, you know, have my sign up, my lame poster. And, like, graciously, a few students come up. They sign their name. But, you know, you can kind of tell that the response was tepid at best. And I was feeling really discouraged. I'm like, all right, I guess you're not going to answer that prayer, God, right? Because I I don't see this happening. But then just as things were wrapping up and we were getting ready to leave, I I looked to my left, and a couple seats down was uh, a a black female student who was uh, recruiting for her dance club. And so kind of as like a last-ditch effort, I'm like, oh, hey, you know, uh, maybe commiserating or something. I was like, hey, how's it going? What club are you recruiting for? She's like, oh, yeah, dance club. And she returned the favor. She's like, what are you you here for? And I told her, I'm I'm trying trying to start a Bible study here. And her immediate response was like, oh, that's awesome. I- I'd totally be willing to go. And I was like, well, like, I'm not just looking, f- you know, she, she goes, uh, well, when do you guys meet? And I say, uh, well, we don't because I'm, I'm looking for someone to help lead it. Uh, and she's like, yeah, I'd totally, be up. I'd totally be interested in this. But it was really clear that she was interested in being a participant, not leading it, right? Of course, I mean, I just met her, right? But I was like... I was pretty desperate at this point, but I'm like, all right, I was like, I need just to make it really clear. And I told her, all right, so, I mean, that's really exciting that you're interested, but uh, I'm not going to lead it. I need someone 
like you to lead it, right? I'm actually looking for you to, to, for someone to lead it. Would you, would you consider leading it, right? I said that. I, I know it was like, I know you're hearing this, you're like, this is ridiculous. And I was like, oh, you know, I would support the person, encourage, whatever. But I'm just like, okay, this is the only path forward. And her response was this. She paused for a second. She didn't say anything. And she's like, when you asked that question to me, I felt excited. I felt God's peace. And I'm in. And I'm like, what? Like, inside, I'm like, what? Are you serious? So I asked her some more questions. I'm like, well, do you have any experience leading anything? And she's like, well, yeah, like, I lead my youth group at my church, and I've led Bible studies. And I asked her, like, so, you know, what's your sense of calling? You know, what's your passion? She's like, yeah, I, I really sense a call to make Jesus known. Okay, I kid you not, this really happened. And so then she, she and I keep talking, and then she wrote down 15 people that she knew at ACC. And then she identified two people that she thought might be willing to join her in this crazy endeavor. And one of those friends was a girl named Yessi, a Latino student. And so together, uh, Zoe, the African-American student, Yessi and I, we partnered together and we hosted a Bible study. We launched a new Bible study at AACC. And that's uh, on your right, a, a picture of some of us that were gathered together. When we make room for unexpected people to enter our lives, crazy things happen. So about a year ago, here at Access, a new person moved from out of state uh, to Houston, like many people have. And they were at a G2G event. Uh, She didn't really know anyone. Um, And when there were starting to become issues with the apartment that she had just moved into, like really bad issues that made it uninhabitable, and the management refused to do something about it, she needed some attorney help. And we have a really strong base of attorneys here at Access. And they quickly came together. Someone wrote a letter for her. Another person gave her some advice. And when it became impossible for her to live at this said apartment because the conditions were so bad, one of our members, they opened up their home to this person and let this kind of stranger into their regular lives. And now Cassidy is an integral part of our faith village. She's actually serving right now, right? Or maybe she's in the restroom. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) That's besides the point, right? She serves on worship team. She's a part. We love her. We're so glad she's here, right? So here's my point in sharing some of these stories. We have this vision, which Ted talked about earlier, right? We want to be a church that unites diverse people. And we have our reality, Okay? Getting from here to there requires us to do things differently. If we just do things all the same and just keep talking about this, it will never happen, right? You can't do things the same and expect a different result. And what I'm suggesting is the different thing that we need to do is how we relate to people in our lives. And not the people we normally hang out with, because all the normal people we hang out with are already here. What we need to do is shift how we interact with people at the grocery store, at the gym, at our workplace. Maybe the newcomer who steps into the foot of the church and they're wondering, do I belong here? Those are the kinds of folks that we need to shift how we interact with. And all of of us, okay, myself included, will need to grow into people 
who are willing to let unexpected people into our regular lives, right? That's the way our community organically grows and changes and transforms. And so what if every single one of us in here made it a commitment that this year I'm going to invest and foster and, and, uh, you know, be attentive to at least one cross-cultural friendship and invite that person to church? Right? What if we were all just kind of intentional, like not as a project, but just as a way to love people? What if I intentionally love and care for and get into the lives of someone that lives in a different kind of experience than I do? I just love them, I walk with them, and over time, as trust is built, I invite them to church. What if all of us did that? The results would be dramatic, wouldn't they? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, gosh, John, you know, if I had the power to, like, miraculously heal people like Peter did, tons of people, all sorts of diverse people would flock to access. Um, And uh, there are, like, furious debates about whether these kinds of things are still normative for the church today. I'm not going to get into all of that because I think that would miss the point. Peter says, look at us. Now, that must have been a little strange to the beggar, because my guess is most people would respond to, you know, do you have some spare change with, yeah, here you go, not look into my eyes, right? That's kind of a weird response. But catch what Peter says next. He, it, it's an incredibly insightful, and I think it's worth memorizing. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. Peter acknowledges his deficits, but he focuses on the assets he does have, right? Peter acknowledges his deficits, but he focuses on the assets he does have. Uh, I think many of us do the opposite. We focus on our deficits, and we forget, we neglect, we ignore the assets that we do have. And so a lot of times we get locked into thought patterns like, you know, sorry, I don't have what you're asking for. I'm sorry, I don't have enough money. I'm sorry, I don't have a job. I'm sorry, I'm not very good at that. I'm sorry, I don't have time. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I'm sorry, I'm not the right person. And this kind of deficit thinking leads to a failure of imagination. Our focus on can't often leads to won't, right? If we just get stuck in the can't, right? That's not, so we acknowledge, but we don't get stuck there. And when we get stuck in the can't, it leads to a failure of imagination, which stifles creativity, it stifles options, it stifles possibilities. So I was once speaking to a group of Asian American college students and I asked them to imagine the next president. I imagined them to try to think, what did this person look like? How tall were they? What were they dressed like? At the time, President Obama was in office. Uh, and then I asked them, um, how many of you imagined an Asian American president? How many people do you think raised their hands? Zero. None. Not a single person. And this was a room full of our, our, our ministry's brightest and most capable leaders. That's a failure of imagination. 
As an Asian American myself, uh, I used to think that I had nothing to contribute to conversations about racial justice or racial reconciliation. Because in my mind, these are primarily issues between black and white people. And if someone's going to lead the charge for any meaningful change, it's going to come from those two communities. What do I have to offer? And then it clicked several years ago that actually being Asian American has particular assets as well. That, yeah, I've been on both sides of feeling marginalized as well as feeling like I'm in a privileged position. And that does give us a unique ability to empathize and speak into the conversation. And that culturally speaking, there are cultural features about being Asian American, right? An emphasis on peace and harmony and things like that that could be valuable to the conversation. And so now I realize that actually it takes everyone's contributions to move the ball forward. It's easy to look at immigration and think, you know, what am I supposed to do? But I love how members in our community are coming together to just one family at a time, walk with them and show them Christ's love in very tangible ways. Several weeks ago, right, the youth group, through our partnership with Cindy and HWR, helped to get an apartment ready and move in an Afghan family. These actions, they won't change immigration policy at a national level, but they are changing one life, one person, one family at a time, and that matters. A church that unites diverse people is a church that offers what we do have to the greater community for the greater good. It's a church that acknowledges its deficits but focuses on its assets. And your gift may not res- or your gift may actually resonate with people in ways that mine don't. And as all of us collectively offer our gifts, what it does is it creates resonance with in- resonance with increasing numbers of people, diverse people. So Peter heals the man, and everyone goes nuts as they see this lame man walking. And what's their natural inclination? They want to give all the praise and all the props to Peter and John. Wow, you guys are amazing. I don't know what John really did in this story, but it doesn't really matter. Then Peter gives a speech. And remember last week, after the, you know, the Spirit came, and they speak all those languages and tongues, Peter gave a speech. Hey, these guys aren't drunk. It's only 9.30 in the morning, right? So he gives another speech. Let's read what he says. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And Peter's on a roll here, right? We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. All right, so Peter is not one to beat around the bushes. He just tells them straight up, you guys killed him. It's on you. But his intent isn't to, like, beat them up and just make them just heap guilt on them. It's to call them to turn to God. He wants the fellow, his fellow Israelites to find healing. Maybe not in the same physical way as the beggar had just experienced, but all the more important, at an emotional 
at a psychological, at a spiritual, and at a soul level. So he says to them, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Peter makes it so crystal clear that everything hinges on Jesus, the one who was crucified, buried, and then rose again, sending shock waves into the universe. The one who conquered death and then gave the world the Holy Spirit, who is the very presence of God, who empowers us to live on mission with him. And so Peter, for sure, demonstrates the power of Jesus by healing the beggar, but he knows that actions, while significant, while necessary and powerful, aren't enough. These actions need to be coupled with words. They need to be interpreted. Otherwise, people will assume it's all about Peter. And so he declares to them clearly and powerfully, this is through Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that the next time you're at H-E-B and the cashier's like, oh, how are you today? That you say, I'm fine, but your sins crucified Jesus. You should repent, you know? Uh, But what I am saying is we need to both demonstrate and declare the good news. It will not work for us to just say, hey, let us be one, but then treat each other like crap, all right? That won't work. Nor will it work just to be really kind and hang out and have great fellowship and never talk about how Jesus both shapes and informs and anchors our life together. They go hand in hand. Words and actions go hand in hand. All right, so let's go back to the social experiment I mentioned earlier. So it turned out it didn't make any difference whatsoever on whether they helped, uh, on their helping, uh, if they were giving a message on the Good Samaritan. didn't make a difference. Uh, it also didn't matter what their specific social, relig- uh, their religious profile was. The thing that was influential, the thing that was significant and made an impact was on how rushed they were. So what they did was this. Uh, in some instances, the assistant would come into the room and would tell them, oh, it'll still be a few minutes before they're ready for you, but you can go, out, you know, go ahead and ha- head on over. Uh, that was the low hurry condition. In other instances, they, the assistant came in and said, uh, the assistant is ready for you, so please go right over. This was the intermediate hurry condition. But those in the high hurry condition were told, you're late. Uh, they were expecting you a few minutes ago. And this is what they found. 63% in the low hurry condition stopped to help. It drops to 45% when they're in the intermediate. But it hits 10% when they were rushed, thinking they were late and in a hurry. So that's the thought I want to end with today. A church that unites diverse people isn't going to happen 
if our busyness and our hurriness keeps us from letting unexpected people into our regular lives. You can't do it when you're in a rush. A church that unites diverse people isn't going to happen if we allow hurriness to keep us from recognizing and appraising and reflecting and seeing the assets that we do have. And a church that unites diverse people isn't going to happen if we rush and we hurry and we try to force this agenda on our own timeline. Man, that's what I need to hear because I'm like, this is a vision worth going. We just got to do it now but it's going to take time. It is the work of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we just get to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Lord, what do you want to say to us today? What do you want us to know? How do you want us to live? Thank you for the ways that you unexpectedly heal, love, and show your power. And I pray that access would enter a season in which we see that again, Lord. Lord, thank you that you are with us. You are always with us. Continue to be with us. Protect us and lead us as we move forward, as we learn together what it looks like to be a church that unites diverse people. We're going to wrap up with just some conversation, um, uh, just to begin to reflect a little bit on what the Lord might be saying to us. Uh, and so, Donald, if you could bring up some of these questions, right? Um, what we like to do here is just sometimes, on occasion, give us some space to reflect on what's being said, just to see if there's something that resonates with you, something that's challenging you, something that you disagree with, right? And so you might look over some of these questions, um, and later today, you can talk about it as well. But we're going to give you about just a several minutes. Just turn to some of the people sitting next to you, small groups of two or three or four or whatever it might be. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable sharing, that's totally fine. Um, but take a moment. Is there some question here, just one maybe, that gets your attention? Or maybe something that was said today that you're like, oh, yeah, I need to think about that more, right? So go ahead, um, turn to the people sitting next to you. Let's make sure everyone at least has an invitation to be a part of a discussion group, right? Um, And I'll just give you about several minutes to do that. All right, well, I'm going to bring us back um, and wrap us up today. I hope that we're able to continue these conversations. I mean, this this is a part of our vision, right? This is a part of who we believe God has called us to be. And as we practice talking about uncomfortable things like this, we'll get better at it and we can learn, fail, and grow together. So this is a very exciting thing. Um, We have a lot of cool stuff happening after service I want to invite you into. We have our um, last day to register for retreat. We have our first life group that's going to be meeting after Sunday starting today over there. So you're welcome to join us. That's at 12. Um, And then uh, Pastor David and Chrissy will be available uh, for prayer. If Something we talked about today kind of struck you. You, need, you just want someone to process with and pray with. Uh, we would love to pray with you and for you. Um, we're going to ask that we have a quiet dismissal. That way, if, someone, if people wanted to stay here and just continue to just maybe silently meditate or whatever it might be, you'll have some space to do that. So we'll take conversations out there. All right, so let's rise for our sending prayer. Let's pray this together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it. 
where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, thanks for being here. Hope to see you next Sunday.